finally, finally, South Africa's presidency has given us the date we've all been waiting for. They finally told us the day upon which the country is going to go to the polls to select our next political class of leaders, the most influential and powerful political people in our democracy. We finally have a date. And in the last few days, we've discovered how some extremely high-profile, famous people, celebrities in South Africa, seem to have been implicated in the massive racket to steal money from the lottery. And New Year, same old crisis for thousands upon thousands of university students across South Africa, as once again, as it seems to happen every single year, like our own version of Groundhog Day, at the beginning of the New Year's academic term, There are protests, disruptions, NISFAS, payment crises, strikes, accommodation mess-ups, and once again, we are seeing so many young people who deserve an opportunity to get a life-changing degree that can set, that can literally change the future of their lives and their families, put in a mess. Those are the three big stories from the last seven days in South Africa that we are addressing today on News Worth Knowing. This is The Issue with Dan Corder, because we all know that South Africa is a movie. Welcome to The Watch Party. South Africa is wild and overwhelming, and on this show we explain, analyze, and understand the biggest news stories and issues facing this country every single week. Two episodes of The Issue come out every single week on podcast and also in video form on YouTube, and we also release weekly exclusive episodes of interviews and analysis on Patreon. Go find us there. Lastly, if you're new here and enjoy the episode, it would be so wonderful if you clicked subscribe or follow. It makes a huge difference as we develop the show going forward. Right, let's get into it. So the SIU, the Special Investigations Unit expose of the Lotto scandal is by far the juiciest story this week. But we have to lead with the biggest one, the meaningfully biggest one which is that the South African presidency has finally told us that we're going to be voting in the national elections on the 29th of May, 2024. It seemed like they were taking forever. They could have told us months ago. There was no reason for them to wait this late. Conspiracy theorists are already saying that they were trying to delay the uh, election date as late as possible so the ANC could try and sugarcoat their performance in the last four or five years, try to make it seem like they'd fixed load shedding and make a bunch of new promises before people went to the polls. And it just so happens that before this recording, we found out that they're increasing social grants, which is, you know, a very convenient thing for a government to do just a few months before so many of the people who receive social grants are going to the polls to vote for a political party for the next five years. But it could just be me, but I'm not absolutely certain that Ramaphosa's team even wanted to make the elections announcement this week. Before this crazy moment involving Deputy President of both South Africa and the ANC, Paul Mashatila, he was speaking at an ANC event and he said this. To ensure that come the 24th or around there of May, when we go to... Oh, it's just so terrible. I am folding up with cringe right now. Poor old Paul. Yeah. If you haven't seen the video, I'm sure that you can hear what happens as soon as he says 24 and then pause, process, because that is the kind of thing that I'm sure you've been through or you've seen happen to somebody else where the boss says, okay, going into this meeting, maybe it's a client meeting. The one thing you must not say under any circumstances is this 
And then, of course, because you're obsessing about it or you've logged it as important, do not say it goes to your frontal cortex, it's in your lobe, and then suddenly, uh, beyond your control, it just comes spilling out. And that's what happened here with Paul Mashatile, a whole vice president of the ANC and the country. It reminds me of this time. Oh, I'm actually getting like uh, empathy goosebumps, empathy discomfort off of this. It reminds me of the time I was in grade 11. I was debating for Westford High School in like the African Schools Debating Championship. It was a really big deal. It was in Johannesburg. We somehow as a school managed to make the semifinals. It was amazing. I was not good at debating, but I was on the team. They needed enough people to form the team. It was like four or five people. So we are in a prep session for the semifinal for the topic. And I suggest that we make a certain kind of argument or a certain, you know, a certain point. And my debating captain at the time said, oh, yeah, where did you see or learn about that? And I said, oh, I read it in this really good book. And then he said, OK, great. Make the argument. But do not under any circumstances say, trust me, I read it in a book. Because that is like it, it must have been like 2010. That was a 2010 equivalent of I saw a tweet. It's just like it embarrasses you immediately. People go, oh, really? Oh, really? You read it in a book? Sure, we're going to believe your source. That's awfully nonspecific. Why should we? It literally pulls your claim into doubt, like I saw a tweet or I saw it on TikTok is today. So Dan goes into the debate. He's panicking. He's very nervous. He has a very bad stutter at that time. He's going through his points, and then he makes this argument, and then he looks up and sees like bemusement, confusion, and like disapproval from the other team who we were against. Now, obviously, that makes perfect sense. Like, that is what the other team is supposed to do, try and destabilize you and disagree with you so they win the debate. So Dan says, no, trust me, this is true. I read it in a book. And how I felt in that moment is how I could see Mashatile feeling in that slip-up. How Mashatile looked is how my team looked when I did that. And needless to say... I was not chosen to perform in the final, which we did get into, which is awesome. And I completely respect and support Colin's decision to not put me in the final. So whether the presidency wanted to tell us this week or not, after Masha Tile did that or around there, terrible, oh, I'm, I'm cringing all over. After that happened, they had to announce, and they did. It's the 29th of May. It's a Wednesday. And look, this is important. If you still haven't registered to vote, go register because the window is about to snap shut. Because what happens when the presidency says the election is going to be on this day, then it has to be gazetted by parliament and the National Assembly. And then once it is gazetted, then the president can make what is called the proclamation, which essentially legally says, this is the day we're going to have this election. And as soon as the proclamation happens, no more people can register to vote. It's done. It's closed. So this is your last chance. And remember, if you are hutful of the way that these politicians have handled our, our democracy, if you are feeling hopeless and miserable about the future of the country, that might make you feel like, I don't really want to vote. It's not going to make any difference. But that's, that's the scam of these politicians who you're unhappy with. They want to make you feel hopeless so you don't use your actual power to do anything about it. And they're trying to do that on everyone in South Africa so they remain in power. But the way that you take revenge on politicians you are unhappy with is you vote against them. You register to vote so that you can exercise your power. And when you and everybody else does the same thing, then there are real consequences. Politicians lose jobs. Their paychecks get cut down to smaller sizes. They tend towards irrelevance. That's your revenge. And the other great thing about voting is if we are able to enforce real accountability on our politicians, then if they don't want to suffer the punishment and revenge that has fallen on others, they've got to perform for us. They've got to perform. 
And so that's why you should just go now onto www.elections.org.za. That is the IEC's website. Go and register. Even if you don't end up voting, just have the choice, have the option. It takes less than 10 minutes to register. Right, next news story on news worth knowing. Can you imagine going online on a normal day, going online to discover that you are being exposed for looting the lottery by the special investigating unit in infographics on Twitter. Yeah, it's like Uyajola99 for corruption. Now, if somehow you don't know what Uyajola99 is, it's like cheaters. It's basically cheaters in South Africa, but it gets hectic, eh? Like it often ends in brawls. Like basically in this case to Joel in Uyajola means to cheat, to, to hook up with someone else. And so the way the show literally works is Someone says that they're being cheated on and then the camera, the film crew goes live recording, live, 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 all the cameras on and they confront that person, usually in a public place. Sometimes when the cheater is with their their side piece, whether it's a man or woman side piece, uh, sometimes when they're in a public place, like on a taxi, like surrounded by people and it gets so insane. The most incredible episode of Uya Jola 99, the most iconic one for me and you can you can YouTube it to see the the, the trailer for that episode is where they confront a man who is on a horse and he flees the camera crew who chase him, but they're on foot and he's on a horse. And then he falls off the horse and the camera crew catches up with him and then he runs away saying he needs to go and get his horse back because the horse has run off. That is all on YouTube. That is Uyajola99. And the special investigating unit has clearly got a new social media manager or their old one has got a new strategy because the SIU has now started posting these Twitter threads with infographics in detail explaining in easy to understand ways what allegations there are against certain people and what evidence they've already found. They haven't done this before. And that's what led to this storm in the last week when the SIU posted a Twitter thread about the Lotto scandal and in an infographic showed that iconic South African actress Terry Peto, who you probably know from her leading role in the Oscar-winning film Tsotsi, she and dear friend of hers, the renowned fashion designer Tula Cindy, who has been very loud on Twitter for many years, anti-corruption loud, very self-righteous. They are both implicated. The SIU has evidence of them receiving money from dodgy contracts that have looted the National Lottery Commission. Crazy. And not small money either. 3.325 million in Terry Peto's case. Kind of a little bit ironic, a little bit weird. You're the lead actor in Tsotsi and then, I don't know, you became one? Oh, it's not great. And by the way, these are not allegations. These payments have happened. Tula Cindy got 140,000 rand from money that was supposed to go to the creation of a chicken farm to help a community with development of an, a local economy and food provision in that area of South Africa. And the SIU published this information, firstly, because they have cold hard proof and evidence of these payments going through. But secondly, because they have not found or been given any plausible reason besides corruption and looting why Tula Cindy and Terry Peto would have got these payments. So just in case the lottery scandal is new to you, let me explain. So the reason why the lottery exists is mainly for fundraising uh, to put into projects that do good for the country. That's actually why the lottery exists. Sure, like publicly, it's mainly about making winners, but the way that they get us to buy the lottery tickets is by putting aside a certain amount of money that they raise from lottery ticket sales to give to winners who get the numbers on their balls. No. No, 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 <laughs> that did not sound right. Their numbers on the balls. Focus, 
their numbers. <laughs> Yo, that didn't sound. Their numbers on the balls. Right. Got it. Shove. So they get all this money from ticket sales. They put a part of it aside to make winners worth. And then the rest of it goes to the NLC, the National Lotteries Commission. And then people, generally people, project leads, NGOs apply to the NLC for funding for do-gooder, for the betterment of the country development projects. Like in this case, 5 million rand from the NLC to start and develop a chicken farm for a community in South Africa. But since late 2020, it's October 2020, the Special Investigations Unit, the SIU, has uncovered tons of dodgy contracts involving more than a thousand NGOs that are now under investigation and totaling more than 1.4 billion rand of lost money that did not go where it was supposed to go. The theory is that people, looters, have set up shell company, fake NGOs, basically NGOs that do nothing, have no assets, have no projects, and they use those registered fake NGOs to apply for funding on projects that they never intend to create. And then the NLC goes along with them. Maybe there was like backdoor, you know, uh, exchanging of brown envelopes or cute little networks or, or whatever. But basically it means that the NLC doesn't do due diligence and just gives away these dodgy contracts that were not deserved and then doesn't follow up on these projects actually being done, which means that the money then disappears and nothing gets created out of the NLC funding. So that's what the SIU is investigating. More than a thousand potentially fake looting NGOs that are fronts for people who are trying to steal the money. Over 1.4 billion rands worth of funding that have come from people buying lottery tickets and are being set aside that should have gone for the good of the country. And the SIU in this thread to show how the lottery scandal might work focused on this chicken farm project that was given 5 million rand. And there ain't no chicken farm. There's no chickens like it's not been developed. There's no paper trail that that money's been spent on developing a chicken farm for a community. And then they diced up all the money and they showed in this infographic where all this 5 million went. 2 plus million to Teddy Peto, 140,000 to Tula Cindy. And I must say, South Africa thinks this is a great move from the SIU in the way that they're using their Twitter account. Because, you know, corruption kind of just gets lost in the news cycle now because there's always corruption. You can barely even remember who did what. And when you see a new name, you don't even know if like it, you, you have a feeling that they have been implicated in corruption, but you don't even know if they were convicted. You don't even know if it was them, which corruption scandal, how much money. And so much of the reporting is written in articles that could be behind paywalls or at, le at least they don't make a very good impression uh, or they're in court filings, which the vast majority of people don't read. And so people are now delighted that, that the SIU is taking their presentation of the facts seriously. And it's also good for the SIU's investigations because you want to have public sentiment invested in people being brought to justice, corruption being rooted out, the money that was stolen being reclaimed and putting put back into the state, recovered monies, like, you know, through literal monies or, you know, repossessed homes or cars or the rest of it. It's a very smart move and hopefully makes people who are considering corruption genuinely scared that they will have their public reputation seriously and maybe even irreparably harmed. So super interesting. South Africa ate it up. Go follow the SIU on Twitter. I don't have many reasons to tell you to use Twitter anymore. It's a bit of a hellscape, but SIU's Twitter, what a vibe. And final story on news worth knowing today is honestly, it's always disheartening to me. There are more protests and disruptions as we start a new academic year at campuses across the country. And largely, you shouldn't be surprised, it's got to do with NISFAS. So you should go check out our uh, special episode that we did on NISFAS's insane 2023 uh, but, you know, before you go check that out and get the full details, essentially the spark notes are that NISFAS decided to create a new payment system halfway through the year 
For all these, remember, thousands, tens of thousands of students who deserve and qualified for NISFAS funding, financial relief, and who need it. It's not optional. It's like literally the difference between food, no food, accommodation, no accommodation, transport, no transport, textbooks, no textbooks. And like halfway through the year, they changed the system. System didn't work. Immediately, students went without money. There were students writing final exams last October, November, who were literally starving, relying on food banks or like, you know, soup kitchens provided by university communities just to have anything to eat while they were studying, which is absolutely horrifying and unacceptable. And heads should roll. And honestly, at this point, how many more disasters does Higher Education Minister Bladen's Monday through his department have to oversee? Like how many more before there are consequences within the ministry? And obviously, with this terrible new system, it was discovered that a lot of the contracts were dodgy, that there was corruption and payoffs, that some service providers had got contracts when they literally didn't have the qualifications or the experience to fulfill what they promised they would do in the contract. So go check that out in our episode. Uh, you'll find it on YouTube and the streamers. It's all there under NISFAS. So beginning of a brand new year, after that shit show, that absolute disaster, guess what? There are protests across the country because NISFAS funding isn't arriving for students who need it. There are literally protests at UWC in the Western Cape, NMU in uh, Nelson Mandela Bay in the Eastern Cape, uh, UKZN, there are protests all over the country. In Gauteng also, there are protests because students are being left high and dry once again by rubbish NISFAS. Now, Braden Zamande says that he has, like NISFAS has paid out 4 billion rand at the beginning of the new year to TVET colleges and to universities so they can disperse them to their students. But clearly, many, many students are falling through the cracks and they're not getting their payments and their money. And it's because of the government-created shambles that is NISFAS. And really, like I will say this every day whenever anybody asks me about this, the plight of students has to be a national crisis issue that doesn't become normalized, that we don't just ignore and look past in the media or like forget about when we hear the news story. It should, going into the election, be a crucial election concern. Political parties should be shouting loudly about what they will do to fix our higher and basic education system. Like the fact that it isn't is so disheartening to me because these are young people who have one ticket that they have earned through their marks and their discipline and application and talent. They've earned this opportunity in a country with a crisis of shockingly high unemployment levels and the worst unemployment levels in the world for young people. Getting a degree is that shot to escape, to transform your life and the, and the fate of your family forever. And this is what they have to go through. And people are dropping out of university out of necessity. People are doing badly in exams because they don't have food in their bellies. How, what, that's no condition to prepare for and write a serious paper. This should be a national crisis that is affecting and getting the attention of all political parties. It should be a crucial thing that we talk about in 2024. But if that wasn't enough, if you're at UP, you might not even have been able to get onto campus this week because there's a dispute between some employees at the University of Pretoria, that's Tux, UP, and the university. And because it hasn't been resolved, that wage dispute, some Tux employees, UP employees, prevented students from accessing, from entering campus this week. So even if your NISFAS is going fine or you're not reliant on NISFAS, you can't even go to university in some cases if you're at Tux. And it's the worst at CPUT in Cape Town where thousands of students are sleeping on the floors, in, on campuses, in hallways, cold, with nothing for them because of an accommodation crisis. It seems like, according to some students, there's been a radical f*** up at CPUT. Sorry, Editor Eric, please, the bleeps, I need them. I'm upset about this. So thousands and thousands of students have arrived at CPUT expecting accommodation from all over the Western Cape and the country. 
they've all arrived expecting that they would be given it. And CPUT has said, how could we possibly do that? We've had more than 50, 60, I think it's even more than 70,000 applications for accommodation at CPUT for this year. And they only have 15,000 beds, up from like the 13,000 that they had last year. But all these students have arrived because they say there was a mix-up. Basically, on the application form that they were submitting, there was a checkbox that said, do you need accommodation? And they ticked yes. But they say that it was unclear. It was not made clear to them that even if you had ticked yes on that, you also had to separately apply for accommodation on a residence application. And they didn't know that. So now CBUT says they literally don't have any more accommodation, no beds. And there are students lying on floors just trying to start their brand new academic year. You know, it really upsets me, I have to tell you. And I just think that we need a radical intervention politically, legally, from business, economically, whatever you can do, whatever anybody can do to help young people get the educations that they need to make a difference in their lives and contribute to the improvement of South Africa. Because this happens every year and it can't just be every year like, oh, South Africa gets hot in February. It can't be like that. We have control over this. We know what we're doing. So that's News Worth Knowing for this week. Thank you so much for listening to The Issue with Dan Corder. As you know, News Worth Knowing is every Thursday recounting big, consequential, important news stories from the last seven days in South Africa. And we'll return on Monday with a brand new special episode focusing on an issue facing the country. And while you're here, you have to go check out our Patreon because we got the one and only Rudy Clavi to give us an exclusive sit down. She's a broadcasting icon who has been literally the person to carry South Africa through multiple pivotal elections. And she's no longer on air in South Africa. She's based in the US. And she finally got to be able to talk freely about what she thinks about different political parties because it, it doesn't make sense when you're trying to lead and moderate a national conversation in an election as a broadcaster to say exactly what you think and what parties are interesting you. But now that she isn't on air in this election in South Africa, she did that. She told us what she thought of ANC, EFF, DA, of Zuma's return, of some smaller parties that are interesting her. And you can go and listen to all of that as well as all the other once a week expert interviews that we put out on Patreon exclusively for our subscribers. On that side, it's less than 100 rand a month. You support the show and you get all these epic interviews. Thank you for listening. Chat to you on Monday. Have a good weekend.